Our beer of the week this week is actually a seltzer. It's Ranch Water Hard Seltzer. And it came from a friend of the pod, and he's been on the a guest on the pod before, Jack Bitcon. He, uh, he gave us these seltzers because he didn't know what to do with them, so we're drinking them on the pod this week. Shout out, Jack. Shout out, Jack. This is Perfect Takes. I'm Steven, your host, joined by my co-host, Jacob LaCroix. And speaking of guests, we have another one this week, a dear friend of ours, Alexander Spear goes by Alex. He's a two-time fantasy winner in our personal league and a guy we watch uh, football with on most Sundays. So great to have uh, you with us. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Right on. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex and go Bills. Go Bills indeed. What we're going to do on this episode is we're going to be doing kind of like a weekly series now that the season's kicked off. We're going to kind of do a game review of the Panthers. Then we're going to kind of look around the NFL, touch on some major topics, and then we'll look ahead the next week. And uh, in this case, we do play the Saints on Monday night, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How did we play versus the Falcons, Jacob? Uh, Not great. We started the season off with an L, which is never fun. You always get clowned for like the first week. And Bryce Young followed the streak of number one pick QBs losing their first game in the NFL, going all the way back to 2002, where David Carr was actually the last one to win his first NFL game. So followed that streak, uh, just kind of a, a meh game overall and disappointing that it was a division rival. Fun, fun little uh, tidbit. David Carr was actually a Carolina Panther in the late 2000s when Jake DeLome mm -hmm. injured his elbow, which is really cool, uh, kind of full circle around there. But my biggest complaint about the game on Sunday is Bryce had 43 dropbacks. He had 38 pass attempts, three rushes, and two sacks. The three turnovers, which included two of Bryce's interceptions and Sanders' fumble, led to Atlanta's first 17 points and put us in a hole we can never get out of. And so our defense balled out, did their part. But when I'm looking at the offense, I'm looking at Frank Reich and Thomas Brown not scheming up more runs. We were averaging almost five yards a clip. And it just, it, it seemed like if we had leaned there, we would have put the ball more in the Falcons court and forced Ritter to throw, which probably would have generated more mistakes on their front. I think that first drive, we were scheming up the run pretty well, but then that fourth and inches thing where Chuba didn't get the first down, that might have turned him off a little bit uh, to leaning on the run. And so Bryce ended up throwing a lot more after that and obviously came the two picks and such. But I'm more disappointed by the lack of separation from our receivers and our skill position players. I know that we don't have the fastest or the most athletic guys. I mean, Thielen's like 48 out there running routes. Uh, Terrace Marshall isn't the he, – he's fast. He has good testing numbers but he's not the shifty guy uh that like Thielen used to be Hayden Hurst actually I think had the most separation out of all of our big tar actually it was uh Chenault and then Hurst and then Mingo was not known as a route runner or a guy that got separation in college and that carried over to this game so hopefully looking to adjust the scheme a little bit to kind of get these weaker route runners more open looks uh particularly over the middle maybe we can incorporate the receiver we traded for from the Chiefs, Amir Smith-Marset. He's a speedster, and uh, maybe we can get him over the middle for some deep shots. I don't think we had – I think we had one attempt past the 20-yard line. 
I, it, what hurt us the most, and I knew this going into the game, is it, missing DJ Chark was huge. He was a guy that would have uh, taken the top off the defense, opened some things up underneath. So the faster we get him back in the lineup, the more that's going to change what we have with our wide receivers. But again, we traded DJ Moore, our number one guy last year, and we added a lot of veterans. And it wasn't any big name stars. We're leaning on a rookie and Jonathan Mingo who's still learning the game. So definitely a lot of stuff uh, in terms of growing pains and the go back to the drawing board and kind of fix um, to me, if Bryce throws less often and we ran more through Miles Sanders and Shuba Hubbard, we might have cut down on the turnovers. Um, again, they had 27 carries, averaged 4.9 yards per carry, and we were just having our way in the trenches with them. I, I, like you said, that fourth and one, I think, stymed some things. But again, opening drive, you just march down, have your way with the defense. I think that's what we needed to lean more on as the game went on. And hopefully we're playing a bad Saints defensive line we make those adjustments and we just keep pounding the rock and force the decisions that come from Carr and the offense. See what you did there with uh, keep pounding. And uh, while the offense was kind of disappointing, to say the least, the defense balled out for most of the game. And nobody played better than Derek Brown, in my opinion. He led our game in tackles. I think he had eight consistent interior pressure, had a sack, a couple of uh, tackles in the backfield. He didn't really fade down the stretch like a couple of our defensive linemen did. And I think the the issue that actually comes from this is that we're dealing with the burn situation, right? And if yep. Derek Brown going, this is his fourth year, if he performs well consistently, we might have to pay him early to try to avoid what we're dealing with with Burns here. Ho hopefully we get that Burns thing resolved, but at the very least, he said he's playing this year, so at least he'll play. I don't, I don't have our cap numbers off the top of my head from last year, but it would have made so much sense to extend Burns last year because he would have been cheaper. He would have been about that Max Crosby range that we want him to. And then we could have been negotiating with Derek Brown this offseason. And instead, we're pulling our hair out with this Burns extension, which we really shouldn't. Like, we got a lot of money off the books. We have a lot of openings available to sign and extend him. This really shouldn't be kind of the issue. Um, Brown and Burns, they both led the team with tackles in Atlanta. Uh, Luvu was tied for second with Burns with seven tackles. Brown had nine. Uh, both, I think, had sacks and were mm -hmm. just effective all over the place, like you said. Like, it, it was a big reason why we had a lead, um, I think, going into halftime. Like, it was like 10 to 7. And so it's just one of those things that we'll see what Federer does. But so far, and, and you've heard this from me, Jacob, I'm, I am more negative Nancy about him. I, I just don't like the job he's done recently. There's there's things that I think could have been shored up and dealt with uh, that would kind of give peace of mind for not only the team, but the fan base. Like we're we're exasperated. Like I, I didn't know why I was so exasperated going in the week one. Like we had a lot to be excited about and it just felt like it was a damper. Absolutely. Yeah, this this is the first. Uh, actually, it's not the first time I've been more negative than positive going into week one, but we should be positive. We have a franchise QB hopeful and this whole thing was just looming over our heads when it didn't need to be. So with that being said, we did get week one out of the way and we as fans do get to say it's only week one. You can't overreact. <laughs> Um, and going off Indeed, that, Steve. yeah, no, you're right, Alex, um, as the Bills fan chimes in the last time, uh, last year, we saw the Bears beat the 49ers. And again, it was a monsoon, but this was a three and 14 team that would beat a 13 and four team right out of the gates. So that's where you can look at the Bengals and Browns and see the bad weather and go, hey, we can't pass judgment on Joe Burrow in that offense. We know what they're capable of. Um, similarly, the Bucks last year beat the Cowboys out of the opening gate in Dallas. 
And that wasn't how the season played out. And the Cowboys would end up slaughtering them in Tampa in the wild card. So it's one of those things that when you look at games like the Rams beat the Seahawks or the Bucks beat the Vikings, you got to be a little bit hesitant and wonder if these teams, since they had so much to prove and they don't have a lot, they threw everything they had from the offseason at the board and they don't have a lot to go off of the rest of the year. And teams will start figuring them out as they go along. Yeah, you never really know on week one, and I don't even think the teams know themselves what they're capable of, and so it's really a crapshoot when you're trying to pick winners or who you think is going to win. Like the uh, the Bucks and the Vikings, how many people thought the Bucks were going to win that game? But I, they, I can see they covering. Dom- I would say they yeah, dominated the game. And the, the second score half. Doesn't the second ref- half. Yeah, the, the score might not reflect that, but I would say they were uh, the team from yeah second half to finish that looked like the better team, and then. Uh, the Rams and Seahawks. I don't think anybody picked the Rams to win. No. They were they were somebody that both of us had as a top six draft pick. Uh, and but division games are always weird. But yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to see week one. I think by weeks like three and four, you really know what teams are like. Speak about fluky week one wins with the Bears. The Packers actually looked good this week with Jordan Love, although his uh, performance wasn't all that impressive. Um, what do you have to say about that, Steve? I know you're a big LaFleur fan. So this is this is where Matt LaFleur gets to be himself. He gets to implement everything that he was doing with the Washington, uh, at that point, the Redskins, now Commanders, with RG3 and some of the bootlegs and rollouts. And uh, he started doing that with Jordan Love. And Jordan Love has time in the system. He's not rushed. He, he got the ball to his playmakers. I mean, Christian Watson's out. Like, we talked about DJ Chark being out, and that impacted how our passing game looked. He was hitting the right guys, making the right reads, and he was taking care of the ball. And at the end of the game, that's what you have to do, and that's what helped them win. So the point I want to make that Alex was getting at is that I think if LaFleur develops his star quarterback in Jordan Love and you have Kyle Shanahan's failed project with Trey Lance, could LaFleur be considered a better head coach? He's led the Packers to two NFC championship games, been more consistent in the regular season. We we hype up Kyle Shanahan so much, but I think Matt LaFleur deservedly deserves more credit. And I think he's going to start getting that more this year, especially if Jordan Love like outperforms Brock Purdy. And that's one of those things where you don't necessarily have all the weapons in Green Bay as you do San Francisco. And I think that actually starts to reflect more on the head coach. Well, in regards to Love versus Purdy, I would expect the expectations for Love to be higher just because, you know, he was a first-round pick versus Mr. Irrelevant. Yep. And I would say pretty similar, similarly to the Panthers, Jordan Love is thrown to a lot of young guys as well. So I, I would say he didn't really impress me with any throws by any means. I don't think he had any, like, super lasers or dots or anything. But him not making a ton of mistakes and getting the ball where it needed to be, like you said, that's what – uh impressed me with love now this is his fourth year in the league so he should be a quality starter but this to me this is really his like rookie maybe like a red shirt triple red shirt rookie year uh (laughs) since this is his first time as a full-time starter but uh hopefully he can build off this uh mistake-free week one performance absolutely yeah he's going to be a major part of like what steve was saying regarding lafleur's legacy because until this point it mostly felt like Rodgers had a big part to do with, you know, wins and losses mm-hmm. in Green Bay. Uh, although LaFleur is still considered, you know, the offensive guru. So it's going to be a big, uh, we'll see this season. Not only uh, did Rodgers have a big part in the win-loss, he had a big part in the offense being called. If you remember that first year when LaFleur got there, they were kind of button heads on concepts to run. 
and now uh, now that Rodgers is gone, Lafleur can run what he wants to run. So I think that I actually think the pressure is on Lafleur more than it ever, ever has been because now it's his offense, and it's time to see if, like if Steve was saying, if it's as good as what Shanahan can draw up and scheme up. Let's let's not forget that Rodgers likes sabotaging coaches. Uh, he did it with Mike McCarthy's last year, just audibling the weird calls and plays. And then you see last year in Matt LaFleur's system, he would just chuck it up. Like he'd have a guy one-on-one and he'd just throw it to him. And it, it, there's very little chemistry there. It's a low probability throw. You're not playing in structure. And then all of a sudden now what went from like a second and 10 and where you could have gotten like five, six yards made it a manageable third down. Now you're looking at a third and long. So it's stuff like that he did constantly putting the team in the hole. And I don't think Jordan Love's going to do that because exactly like you said, Matt LaFleur is the captain now and Jordan Love kind of does as he's he's taught, um, which I think is cool. But moving forward, uh, one segment we had during our kind of preseason series was going over contracts. And two of the guys, two of the top guys got paid right before kickoff. And that was Nick Boza. He got a 170 over five. Uh, Jacob, I was trying to convince him it would be close to the 35 mil. Uh, he thought it would just kind of get over 30 million. I uh, got the projected guaranteed. I, I projected 120. He got 122. And then it was a five-year deal. You guys have any thoughts on that? Overpay, underpay? I know Jason Fitzgerald thought it was um, the 49ers kind of bended towards Nick Bose's will with that one. Yeah. Uh, in regards to me getting it wrong, like the guess, I just didn't think now inflation adjusted 35 is probably closer to the top, but in real dollars, TJ Watt was number one at 28 per year. Right. Yep. I just didn't see a, uh, a I think he has what 34 a year. I yep. didn't see a 6 million jump, but, uh, Hey, he got it. And, uh, that definitely makes it harder for us to sign burns. So thank you. Uh, 49ers, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's just a humongous number. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. I know you said 35, which was close, but whew, that's all I got to say. Yeah, because nobody, Aaron Donald was the only one over 30 to this point. Yep. Like it was, this wasn't like uh, 32 to 34. It was 28 to 34. And like I just didn't see that big a jump coming, but obviously they were willing to pay it and hats off to his agent. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that you got to give credit where it's due. Nick Boza held out, got what he was worth. And you, you got to be happy for the players. I think from the 49er standpoint, you signed Javon Hargrave. I think I saw a projection like it's definitely within the top 10 of interior defensive linemen, his contract. Christian McCaffrey is like a top three running back paid wise. Um, you have Debo Samuel, who got a top of the line deal. I think he's probably top 10. Trent Williams is like top three at his position. So it's it's a lot of cap allocation to your star players Kittle as well. Exactly. And it's it's all these guys that we're talking about are top cap hits. And the only reason they're able to kind of do this is because Mr. Irrelevant that we just talked about is their starting quarterback. So their their cap allocation towards the quarterback position is so low, it allows them to invest all over the roster. But it makes it very hard then to sign like a Brandon Ayuk next year. So it makes it very interesting with him and T. Higgins situation. Are they going to get tagged and traded next year? Are they just going to walk? Like, how is that all going to play out? That'll be interesting to kind of keep tabs on. Can't believe you forgot your guy, uh, Fred Warner. Oh, well. yes. He's he's top. You see, it's just so many guys at so many positions all across are like top, uh, top, top dollar. Um, yeah, it's similar to the uh, division rival Rams of the Stars and Scrubs roster building method. 
they just aren't like, yes, they traded for Christian McCaffrey, but outside of that, this is homegrown talent, which I think is definitely a reflection on how John Lynch has built this team compared to Les Snead. Yeah. They, they're just lucky that Purdy's working out because like, like uh, Alex is saying that like with the Rams, if they had a star QB or one that's paid like one, it's just, it's not possible. No, you, you can't have this talent under these kind of contracts and still pay the quarterback. And speaking of quarterbacks who got paid, Joe Burrow got a 275 over five. And I was way off on this projection. Knowing the Bengals don't like to spend a lot of money, knowing that Josh Allen's deal was on the books, they're represented by the same agency, kind of the same point they're signing this deal. I thought he would get about 53, a little over 53 in annual average value. He got 55. Um, I projected, um, I think, 180 to 190 guaranteed money. He got 220 on one less year of the deal. Like I was expecting him to sign a six-year deal and he only signed a five-year. So this is this is definitely a lot of money for him. And I think like what we were talking about, I don't think they're going to pay T Higgins. I think it's going to be Chase and Burrow. They pay, they'll retain stars on defense. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how this offense kind of morphs and transforms over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think, uh, I think they should probably bite the bullet early and trade T Higgins uh, preferably to the Panthers, I think, for like a third round, fourth rounder maybe. Yes, yeah, and yeah, the correct deal there. I I don't know if that's what they'll do, but I think a, a tag next offseason and a trade is probably in the cards. Um, I think the biggest question is, is Burrow kind of worth this contract? He got paid more than Lamar and Herbert. And yes, he's been to a Super Bowl, but he's got a lot of talent around him. Uh, he doesn't have an MVP. He already tore his ACL. He's going to turn 27 in December. So he's he's not like this young quarterback who's still got a lot of room to grow. Like he's kind of capped out at where he is. It's more, uh, is, is this a needle mover that's going to continually keep you in the Super Bowl hunt even when you see some of these offensive pieces leave? Let Alex talk about that one. I know he's a Burrow fan. Yeah, yeah. Um... It's hard to say with Burrow because obviously, like you mentioned, he has like the Avengers at skill positions and Mixon, Higgins, Chase, Tyler Boyd. You can go on and on. Um, you know, Irv Smith's now there at tight end. So it's we have not seen what he has done, but we know what he has done with those players. And it's obviously, uh, you know, Super Bowl caliber team and offense in that regard. So it was obvious that they were going to sign him. I'm kind of surprised with the guaranteed money like you because they didn't necessarily have to dish all that out compared to past deals. But um, I'm sure he wanted that due to, you know, his injury history. Um, But, yeah, big deal. We'll see if it pans out like the rest of them. Burrow's definitely been uh, successful throwing to those guys. But we also have to remember that that O-line's also been pretty poor despite their continued investment in it. So I think that uh, his ability to perform even with kind of a mid to bad O-line kind of mitigates the uh, the gain from all of his superstar skill position players. I think, But like you guys are saying, I think they had to. I mean, he's been to the Final Four the last two years, right? Not a lot yep. of cube. Other than Mahomes, who in the league right now has done that? Uh, maybe Rodgers. I, I don't know if he's yeah, done it in like consecutive there's... years. But, like, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that have done it. So when you have a star quarterback that's on the trajectory to get paid and they've had success. You just have to do it. But I'm just surprised uh, like you guys are because the Bengals are one of the teams that have been uh, frugal over the past few decades, I guess, since, uh, yeah, way back since Carson Palmer. So I was, I was surprised with the guaranteed stuff too, but yeah, it's, it's going to cost him Higgins or maybe 
Trey Hendrickson or when, if Miles Murphy turns out well, it's going to cost him one of those people. Absolutely. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is kind of like you were saying, he's been in the big games. He's got him to there and he, he evolved his game last year. I thought he was very mm-hmm. much on a Carson Wentz trajectory would hold on to the ball too long. You have too many negative plays from that. And it was after they kind of figured out all these two high shells last year, Burrow had the ball out like that. Like it was, it was instant. It was on time. He knew what was going on. And if he can have that kind of command on the offense, like a Peyton Manning would back in the day, that's where it's, that's where the value comes in. And because he's your point guard and he can get it to the playmakers. Now, a guy that held out similar to Nick Boza, did get a one-year deal, but it feels very much like Saquon Barkley's negotiation. It's Chris Jones. He was holding out for a pay raise. He got about a $25 million deal with kind of incentives. I think the base is around $19 million. And a lot of it hinges on, can he, can he get a lot of sacks? Like He's got a $500,000 bonus in there if he can hit over 15 sacks, which he's only done twice in his career, which is a first for interior defensive linemen. Not even Aaron Donald has two or more seasons with 15 plus sacks. So it's one of those things that I don't know if he's going to make as much as he would have um, if he had just taken the deal on the table. Um, but it is interesting, especially with all the holdouts this offseason, how that panned out. Yeah, you saw the Chiefs uh, lose that game to the Lions and where they had some pretty good rushing performances. And I guess they kind of were like, yeah, we need Chris Jones. And they're able to get it done. Now... A lot of hamstring injuries, guys. Before week one, Jerry Judy, Christian Watson, DJ Chark, John Mechie as wide receivers were all out. Then you had Devin Witherspoon, the Seahawks' new uh, rookie cornerback, Kendry Miller, who's the Saints' rookie running back, and Tyler Smith, who's a promising left guard, potential left tackle for the Cowboys, all out with hamstring injuries. And then during week one, Aaron Jones, Deontay Johnson, J.C. Horn, all hamstring injuries. Like, what's is, is this heat-related, guys? Like, this isn't like a common occurrence in terms of this particular injury, this frequent. Yeah. I shared something I read on Twitter before Jacob or before the pod with Jacob. Um, And it seems like around week one is obviously a big kind of time for injuries. And they sort of taper off around week three or four uh, once everybody's fully conditioned. Um, And it might have to do something with the heat as well, but I think this is something it's just a random occurrence that happens with players and it happens to be a, a couple star players early on this year yeah i think it's still hot right because it's i mean still the end of summer and then also like you're talking about with the conditioning these people or these players haven't really played in a full game since last january or february if they made the playoffs like uh they might have played one or two series in the preseason but they're not playing games in practice they're not uh playing games in the preseason so this is their first time going full speed for a full 60 minutes. And a lot of these guys, uh, well, there are only a few during the game, but I think that's a big contributor toward it as well. As for the, uh, like the, before the week and like during practice injuries, I'm just not sure. Maybe it's still hot. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe this is a point for the uh, global warming crew. Um, I, I don't know exactly where you take from it. It's just, it, it's very interesting. I, I don't remember, uh, hamstring injuries being like this i remember acl tears happening in training Mm -hmm. camp and stuff like that but this is this is a lot of one particular injury that's just very intriguing um moving on one of our last topics before we kind of look at best performances of the week uh, there weren't a lot of good quarterback performances tua obviously uh he went like supernova like what he did with tyree kill on sunday was very special matthew stafford against all the haters 
Um, because he's coming off an injury, the team's kind of in shambles off kind of the Super Bowl runs they've had. And he came out and he performed. And then Mac Jones, he looked great against the Eagles. Uh, come Came down to the last couple minutes. They could have won that game. Uh, do you guys see anybody else that stood out this week or really those the three that we want to kind of talk about? Uh, for me, those are definitely the three. Uh, you said, Like you said, Tua went nuclear. Probably has to be the best game of his career. That one throw, the jump throw he had to Tyreek Hill, that yeah. was like 50 yards down the field. It, the ball didn't hang in the air either. I know he liked the memes and stuff there, but that was a good ball. He, Tyreek didn't have to slow down for it or anything. Really good throw there. Stafford, obviously without Cup, had a really good performance. And then Mac Jones, I know he threw the early pick six, but he bounced back after that and had a really good game with some really good throws. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, those three. I was going to mention that too, a throw where he's climbing the pocket as well. That was kind of a frozen rope. Other than those, it just has to be, you know, week or preseason week four, kind of with the defenses kind of reigning strong and uh, everybody's still trying to get in sync on offense between the O-line communications and wide receiver learning their routes and plays. Uh, I think that's kind of the big story. It'll kind of, I figure, figure things will get going as soon as the season moves along. I'll say that Trevor Lawrence also played pretty well too. That, that is a guy I wanted on this list. I'm glad we brought him up. He, he, he continues to do what he did at the end of last year, makes these insane throws. It was against the Colts. He did have an interception. But this is a guy that can turn it on. And like we've talked about, Jacob, he's one of our favorites to win MVP this year. Absolutely. He, he's a fantasy football champion last year, and hopefully he can uh, improve on that performance this year. Now, a headline that will kind of – be the topic of discussion for probably the next couple weeks is Aaron Rodgers rupturing his Achilles. It's been shown on video. You see the muscle kind of pop. I don't, I don't know if there's really any other question about just more looking at the severity of it, but how is that going to impact? This is a team that I projected to go to the AFC championship game with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously that's not going to happen anymore, but what, what's the ceiling? What's the floor? What's what's the expected outcome? Like, what what should we expect from the Jets now with Zach Wilson at the helm? It's not looking great. Obviously, they're not going to be a top five you know team this season as what was many predicted before. But it's not totally dead. They can still be you know a fringe wild card team like last year. If they didn't lose six games in a row, they probably would have made the playoffs. I believe it's six games. Um, yeah, they got the defense is good enough, as we saw last night with uh, Whitehead getting three picks um, versus Josh Allen and the Bills. Um, and on the D-line, they have enough guys is there as well. Um, so I think that defense, if they run the ball with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook, it can win them enough games to maybe get nine, eight wins, make the wild card. I agree there, and I would even say that, uh, and Diana Rossini has already reported it, that if they get a more competent QB in than Zach Wilson, I think they could still get 9 to 10 games. I, th I think that D-line rotation, like you said, is really good. One of the best in the league. Their defense is good as a whole. And it looks like Brees Hall is 100% after missing some time last year. So, like, with all that in mind, the only concern I would have would be the O-line. And I know that was uh, both mine and Steve's big concern for them. But uh, I, I do think that this is still a wild card team, despite Rodgers being out for the year. I mean, Zach Wilson was able to win some games last I think he even beat the Bills last year, too. Yep. So I wouldn't say that it was week one, but if he's able to just be competent, they could still be a wild card team to me. 
Absolutely. Brad Spielberger, who works with PFF, does a lot of some of the over the cap stuff or initially with Jason Fitzgerald when they were building some of the charts. Um, he he delved into kind of potential trade target for the Jets. He thought Case Keenum, the Texans like third string quarterback, might be like a good like trade, like uh, swap like seventh rounders, get Ke- Case Keenum in the building, get a veteran presence. This is a guy that in 2017 led a dominant Vikings unit to the was it the second seed they, yeah they the second the seed, seed in the they NFC the one seed though no yeah. because they they uh went to Philadelphia for the NFC championship game Philly was yeah, the number oh, okay. two you're right, you're so, right. they again, were the one they seed ha- when they played us and we won I know that yep yeah we did Cam Newton uh that that that's a throwback game so yeah again these are things where if you get a veteran in the room I think yes obviously they can play for that wild card um I do agree though that Zach Wilson just does lower that floor and it makes games a lot harder week in and week out yeah, I think Jacoby Brissett would be a good target for them if Washington is willing to part with him. Uh, I, I don't think uh, they the Panthers would part with Dalton just because they want him there to help tutor Bryce in his rookie year. Absolutely. But if Washington is because they brought Washington brought Brissett in on a like a noticeable deal, I think it was eleven over one, and he had a competition with Sam Howell for the starting job. So maybe if they could get like a fourth rounder or something for Brissett, I think Washington. Uh, would be the best trade or Brissett would be the best trade option for them. Couldn't agree more. Now our last segment, before we talk about the Panthers saints game this coming Monday are the best performances of last week. And we've already kind of alluded to some of these, but I think the number one performer last week was Tua Tuga. I'm not going to pronounce the last name Tua. Easy number one, incredible game. Uh, probably one of the best quarterback performances we saw this past week. It was just what he did to the Chargers defense, um, what he, like not only McDaniel schemed up, but what he did within that scheme. He, he took another step from where he was last year, and it showed. And, also, and I think he was down for a majority of that game as well. He was. He, yeah. he played uh, behind, I think, when it came down to the clutch. He was on fire. He got the ball out so quick. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things we talked about was, okay, Dolphins are going to be limited based on Tua's health. Well, if he keeps getting the ball out this quick, he's not going to get hit. And, like, that's that's huge. Like, where we talked about Joe Burrow kind of evolving as a quarterback with that release. If Tua's doing that, he's going to be talked about as one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And let, let me throw a stat at you here. He was pressured on 55% of his dropbacks, which was ninth in the league uh, this past week. Zero sacks. So he did a good job of avoiding pressure or hits in the pocket and getting the ball out, like you're saying, which is something we've seen him struggle with in years past. Yeah, I had picked the Chargers to win this game because of Teron Armstead's absence, mm-hmm. and it didn't really feel like it watching the game. And I'll say this too. Austin Jackson, a tackle that a lot of football fans mm-hmm. may not know because he's not very good, and the ones who do know know him not not being very good. He dominated Joey Bosa in a lot of plays. He did. He he won a lot of reps, and like that is very visible on tape. So if you get solid right tackle play out of Austin Jackson, that's huge, especially if Armstead comes back from his injury. You, you just feel more and more confident about this Dolphins squad as being a, a true contender in a loaded AFC. Yeah, just wait till uh, Ramsey gets back. That's like the missing piece on that defense. And he'll get back come playoff time. So it's like if they, they can just kind of perform until then, like they, they could really take a step kind of going into the postseason. The second top performer, it's got to be the guy that Tua was thrown to. Tyreek Hill, another 200-yard gain, game, multiple touchdowns. 
no signs of slowing down, even though I, that's what I think is going to happen in the next year or two. Uh, he, he just dominated his matchup and it, time and time again, he was making plays. Yeah. He, uh, he made JC Jackson look like JC Jackson should retire. <laughs> I, I thought he, yeah, he was burning everybody. Speed demon cheetah, as they say, it's too good. Yeah. No, it, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how teams cover because, again, you not only have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle. Both of them are speed demons, and Tua's getting the ball out quick. Now, at number three, who did you have, Jacob, as being kind of like a top performer? Uh, I'll defer this one to our guest. Who did you have, <laughs> Alex? I, I kind of alluded to it earlier with that uh, Bills performance with Josh Allen throwing three picks all to Jordan Whitehead. Um, and not only were there, some of them were deep balls. Some of them were outside on the sidelines. So he was kind of everywhere last night. Um, just um, basically won the game for the Jets, I would say. Yeah, he actually uh, he had a season incentive for three interceptions uh, this season to get his money. He hit that in game one, which is always good to see. You always like seeing players hit their incentives. Oh, I'm sure he uh, went out and enjoyed that bonus uh, after hitting that incentive. At number four, we have Dallas's defense, which really is the real deal. I mean, allowed zero points, scored multiple touchdowns. I mean, they were just all over the place, and it's led by Micah Parsons, and it's it's kind of hard to see this defense slowing down. Yeah, uh, I'll let Alex talk about that one, too. I actually played against him in fantasy <laughs> football this weekend. I was up probably 33 going into uh, Sunday night and thinking, like, yeah, I got this win, right? Nope. No, Jacob was up 27. I had jokingly mentioned, I was like, you know, I still got Dallas D. Maybe they give me 30. Drop 35 in our league scoring, uh, which is, <laughs> I watched the whole game just to make sure uh, the Giants didn't get a garbage time touchdown to bring the points down. Yeah, but they were just suffocating. Not only do they have Parsons and Diggs, they added Stefan Gilmore, who's now adds, um, you know, locks up the weaknesses in the secondary. And uh, even if there was weaknesses in the secondary, it didn't look like Jones can get a ball out all night. Right, and that D-line rotation for the Cowboys, too. I think uh, Oso Digizua had a sack. Uh, Armstrong had a sack. Maybe Demarcus Lawrence as well. They were just everywhere. It wasn't just Parsons. Like They thoroughly dominated that uh, Giants O-line, which was supposed to be much improved coming into this season. Absolutely. Um, I think Evan Neal still has some growing to do. Andrew Thomas, I know he tweaked something in the game and then they kind of kept him out there. It was just kind of a hodgepodge mess out there. Hopefully the Giants clean it up. I think they're a better team than what happened Sunday night. It was just more oh, yeah. of an implosion and more the Cowboys going, no, we're we're for real in the NFC and we're staking a claim. That's my, uh, my pick to win the NFC East. Good to see one uh, no start for them. Absolutely. And before we we touch on some of um, the the next couple topics, last week we both went, I believe, nine and seven in the uh, total predictions. And then our pickums, we both went two and one. What was the one game you missed? Uh, on our bets, I it was the Panth. I picked the Panthers to win, and they didn't win. Gotcha. Yeah, and it, for me, it was, I think I picked the Saints to cover, and they only won by two instead of uh, winning by, like, three or four. And it was, like, it was one of the last, like, field goals at the end. It was totally avoidable. It's just the the Saints played some sloppy football. Speaking of which, we, we play the Saints on Monday night, the division favorites. 
we host them and we haven't played a Monday night game since 2018. And who did we play that Monday night game, Jacob? Well, we talked about this in the NFC South section or episode. It was the Saints. Uh, that was that really horrible 12 to nine game where McCaffrey threw the 50 yard touchdown to Chris Manhurts on fourth down. And then Dante had the pick two on the two point conversion. So just really horrible game, but we do have a winning record on Monday night football and we've never lost consecutive Monday night football games. So history is on our side and the Saints didn't look great against the Titans despite their win. But uh, then again, we did not look great versus the Falcons either. But the difference is the Falcons have such a like good jumbo personnel and good run game. We saw what Algier was able to do two touchdowns. I think like 70 yards rushing. We saw what rookie Bijan Robinson was able to do. He tore us up, had that crazy touchdown where he, made uh, Luvu just miss everything. Then he broke a tackle and made somebody else miss. So really strong game there. Then they have people like Jonu Smith and Kyle Pitts that can block. They had a really strong front, and the Saints don't have that strong front. No, they don't. And I, I guess the only knock is is that we don't have the luxury this week of facing a quarterback who's completely inept and struggles to throw the ball on drop back passes. Um, which will put more pressure on the back end of our defense, especially with J.C. Horn out. Um, I think the big thing for me is that exactly like you said, is that we don't have to worry about the run game as much. If we're able to stop the run with our front four, get after the quarterback with our front four and drop seven, that's what's going to give us a chance. And we need Evro to kind of disguise schemes to kind of throw Carr because we want Carr throwing to our guys. That's that's how we want it to, to draw it up and scheme it up. And if we can get after him and force mistakes, that's what's going to keep us in this game. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of forcing mistakes, the Saints defense last week had a pretty good day. They didn't allow a touchdown and they had three picks on Ryan Tannehill. And despite that, they only won by one point. Right. So yep. there's definitely a chance there. Uh, our offense is going to need to get it together. Hopefully we see some more middle of the field work and uh, use weapons that can separate a bit better. Uh, I really want to see Amir Smith-Marset. I know he's probably like sixth on our depth chart, but he's, and if Chark's not healthy, he's really the only true speedster that can generate some separation there at the top of the field. He needs to see the field more rather than guys like Chenault that are just gadget players or underneath players. Hopefully we can see some better usage this week versus a pass defense that I would say is better than the one we saw versus the Falcons. Absolutely. And you called it like mid game when we were watching, but it was when Chenault got the handoff and it's, Chenault's, yeah, he's fast, he's speedy, but why are we running him up the gut instead of a guy like Jonathan Mingo who's built like bigger than Debo? Mm -hmm. Like that's it's one of those things that if you want to hand the ball to Chenault, it's got to be out on the perimeter, out in space, let him do what he does best, where it's like if you want to do some more of those gadget players, that's where you need to get a guy like Mingo involved because that's what's going to get him kind of rolling. You, you want to get positive plays underneath his belt so it builds his confidence as a player. So we'll, we'll see kind of what we, we scheme up. I think Carl ultimately have a field day for our, our secondary, especially with Horn out. Um, I think we have to play like the Titans did last week. We rely on the front four to just get after the quarterback. They had four sacks, seven, I think, quarterback hits. Like they, they were really effective. And that's, that's where we need to kind of lean on. And hopefully on the offensive side, like what we should have done in the Falcons game is lean on the run game. Like their defensive line ranks... 25th and run stop win rate and 27th and pass rush win rate. So that should ultimately give us time to just dominate in the trenches because the Titans offensive line is not good. Folks is not good. And the saints scored those numbers. 
So our offensive line being better, we just need to win the trenches. And if we win the trenches, that can help kind of down the stretch in the fourth quarter when we need to pull away and we can hand it off to Chuba and they're gassed and he breaks a 15, 20 yarder that kind of puts it away. Absolutely. Hopefully uh, the tides are better for us uh, this week than it was last week. I think we both currently have the Panthers projected to win. So hopefully we get our first win on Monday night football. Uh, Bryce gets his first home win and it'll all be nice and good and everything. And uh, looking, uh, yeah, looking forward, uh, we did the pick is in back during draft season. That was kind of our draft uh, series before we went to perfect takes. And throughout the year, I kind of want to go over some really good, outstanding college performances during the week that we see on Saturdays, because we're going to see a lot of these guys in the NFL soon. And they're probably going to be early picks. Uh, there are a lot of them this week. There are a bunch of good games. UNC App State went to overtime. Oregon, Texas Tech was good. Colorado, Nebraska was probably game of the week. We all enjoyed seeing uh, Coach Prime beat up on Matt Rule and the Cornhuskers. And then that made Alabama. Me so happy. Yeah, it, it was really good. You see all the stuff uh, happening this week. Like uh, Matt Rule had the players on the the logo at midfield before the game and stuff. Just just weird stuff. <laughs> um, I, I'm so glad we don't have to deal with Rule anymore. And there then, was uh, there was a quote in Nebraska, and I saw it got clipped, but I think it might have been an interview this week. But he said something along the lines of like, I mean, when you hired me, you kind of knew what you were getting. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, we knew yeah, what you were getting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I hope they know what they're getting there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a bunch of good games. And then we had Alabama, Texas, which was billed to be a good game, but was pretty sloppy, really good defensive game, I'd say. And the guy that stood out there to me was Quinn Ewers. He's a guy that kind of got lost in the quarterback shuffle in this draft because we have people like uh, Drake May, Caleb Williams, Riley Leonard, uh, Bo Nix, a guy we'll talk about later, Shador Sanders. But Quinn Ewers had a very good game versus a stout Alabama defense. He had some excellent poise. He was accurate on downfield throws. Got some touchdowns to Xavier Worthy, who's another uh, receiver I'm high on, to A.D. Mitchell, who uh, scored the last touchdown against Alabama in the national championship two years ago with Georgia. So that one stung. He had two touchdowns. But uh, Quinn Ewers played very well. Another guy that played very well would be Troy Franklin, a name that all Panthers fans should be watching out for, the wide receiver from Oregon. Uh, he just he just continues to put up tremendous numbers uh, early in the season. Hopefully What's he's this? a guy that's there in the second round for us. Uh, right now he's probably second or third round, I'd say, but he What's might play himself. Build? Is he he like an X? Is he a slot? It, it, like what's? I I would say X. He's like six two and pretty fast. But uh, okay. in today's NFL, you can really be multiple with people as long as they know how to run routes, have good body control, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, he's continuing to put up numbers. Him and. Uh, the FSU receiver, Keon Coleman, are guys to watch for the Panthers drafting a receiver early. And then the last guy I want to highlight is Shador Sanders. Uh, I didn't know he was this good coming into this year because I didn't see a lot of his games last year. There wasn't a ton of great coverage on him. But he's been excellent to start the year. I believe he leads all of FBS in passing yards per game ahead of guys like Drake May, Caleb Williams. And it was just an excellent game. He led the offense versus a pretty good Nebraska defense. If there's one thing Matt Rule can do, it's recruit. And they recruited a, a decent defense there for Nebraska. They moved the ball well. They won the game. And this probably pushed him into a lot of top five QB lists. It definitely pushed him into my top five. Look for him to be a guy that's drafted uh, late first, early second uh this up or next spring he, he, he's was, for real he's for real it was when colorado beat 
TCU. But I remember Deion Sanders saying post game that his son was not a loser. Like it, I forget, mm-hmm. it, I think it was it was going back to like pretty much like pee wee football. But he's like, this guy has like fewer losses than you have fingers on one hand. Like it is insane that this guy has just won at every level. Exactly like you said, he looks this good. Like this is this is excellency. Uh, and it's not just him. Like this whole Colorado team is definitely showing out, and I, I think they're one of the funner bunches to watch as we continue uh, to progress throughout the college football season. Absolutely. They're America's team, both Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, who's going to mm-hmm. be a first-round pick in the 2025 draft. are They should be Heisman candidates. Super do, fun to do, watch. Travis Hunter, do you think at the next level, off the couple games you've seen from him this year, is he a better defender or like wide receiver? Like That's, that's my question. Is He's got to choose one at some point. Corner, for sure. Okay. Like nice. he, he's probably he's not draft eligible this year, but he's the best corner in college football right now, hands down. And the fact that he's able to play over a hundred snaps in the game and be this good at corner is it's nothing short of incredible. This is we haven't seen this in years, especially because he's such a physical corner. Right, and he's it, more of like the sauce breed more than a kind of backup and man type guy. Right, and he he's like. Uh, I think he's 6'2", 6'3", 190. So he's not super big either, but he's out there being physical, taking hits, uh, getting picks, and then he's being physical on his routes running as a receiver too. So it, it's something we've never seen before. It, it's clear to see why he was the number one recruit in his class, and I'm glad that he's uh, he's getting some shine and getting good use as opposed to uh, just kind of being on one – even being on one side, he'd be excellent. So it, it's just – I, I, I can't stop talking about Travis Hunter. He's super good. You can't and can't not like, it's just, you have so many great guys to talk about on this team. Like you said, it's America's team. Now I am going to, I'm going to throw a curveball here at the end. Do you guys have any perfect takes to kind of end the episode on whether it's a pick in week two, uh, whether it's something we can expect throughout the rest of the NFL season, maybe even college football, since we just kind of wrapped up there. Um, start with you, Alex, any big ones? Josh Allen going for three touchdowns, 300 plus yards next week versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Book it in Vegas guaranteed. Okay. You flying out to Vegas for that one? I might have to. It's, I think yeah. it's in Buffalo. It's in Buffalo. Oh. It's a home opener, though. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, for the, uh, I might have to fly out to Vegas to put that bet out there for sure. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Jacob, what about you? I'm going back to the college level because that's my strength. Uh, perfect take. Drake May is the best uh, quarterback in college football. It's not Caleb Williams. I I have to second that one. People need to actually watch the tape and look at the processing. It wasn't somebody you talked about in your section, but that UNC App State game, like he was on fire and on point so many times. He's like Herbert that's not scared to throw deep. Absolutely. Now, my take here is after a disappointing – week one loss and we all have the Seahawks currently picked so this shouldn't be a surprise but I think they go into Detroit like they did last year and they beat the Lions um I know that's not crazy between us like I said but I think the overall general consensus you have a team that just beat the reigning Super Bowl champions they're playing at home against a team that had a rough week one it seems like a favorable matchup I think the Seahawks take advantage I like it awesome now with that that concludes this week's episode Uh, Friday, we'll post on our Twitter page, our picks of the week, uh, our bets of the week. Uh, If you guys have any other questions, feel free to shoot them to us and we'll definitely answer them next week.
but for now, that's it.